This is the Ag Queen Podcast. This podcast explores the agriculture industry with the movers and shakers of those shaping it. Here's your host, Lori Boyer. This edition of the Ag Queen Podcast is brought to you by Zyway brand fungicides by FMC. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Joining us here today, I am thrilled to have my guest in here, somebody I haven't talked to before, so I'm looking forward not only to getting to know him more, but getting to know the organization more. That's what this podcast, I've really gotten to spread my wings, if you will, and learn a lot more and talk to people that I don't normally talk to in my neck of the woods. Lucas Lynch is my guest here today. He is a Chief Federation Officer for Dairy Management, Inc. So, Lucas, welcome to the show today. Hi, Lori. It's great to be with you, and thank you for the invitation. Glad to, glad to be having a conversation about dairy. We'll definitely be getting to more about the organization the Dairy Checkoff, some of the things you're working on. I know that the Dairy Expo was just held, even maybe highlighting that. But before that, let's learn about you. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background. Oh, thank you. Um, you know, uh, as a South Dakota farm kid growing up in my junior high and high school years on a family dairy farm, I am the proud son of dairy farmers. And I studied dairy science at the South Dakota State University and ended up working early in my career in ice cream and fluid milk. And then later as an entrepreneur for the better part of a decade, helping connect professionals across our industry. And then I was really fortunate uh, after having spent some time in the military, uh, met the governor then of my home state of South Dakota, asked me to get more involved in state government. And that's really when I I really had a shift in my career, uh, a chance to learn state government, uh, agricultural issues facing our state and was very uh, lucky and fortunate to serve as the Secretary of Agriculture for South Dakota prior to getting involved in dairy checkoff about five and a half years ago when the dairy farmers on the board of directors for Midwest Dairy Association, which is a state and regional promotion arm that is part of the family of checkoff that I work for today nationally. I was actually the CEO for Midwest Dairy prior to joining DMI two years ago. So that's kind of the quick uh, snapshot of my background. Uh, but advocating and speaking on behalf of farm and ranch families is something I'm passionate about. And these last five and a half years, getting dialed in on behalf of the dairy farmers and their families across the country, that's been a real uh, special uh, place for me to be professionally. You've been with DMI how long then? Yeah, you know, part of the system, five and a half years, specifically with DMI, two years. How was your experience being a former state agriculture commissioner? You know, it was an amazing opportunity. I remember uh, the moment when the governor then, Dennis Dugard, asked me to to take on the the leadership post in his cabinet. I remember calling home to my dad and and saying, hey, dad, the governor just asked me to take on this role. I said, what do you you think? And he said, you know, son, I don't know anything about politics, but I do know this. If you ever have to start fibbing, it's time to come home. <laughs> so that was the that was the the grassroots advice from from my father in the in the hills of South Dakota. 
I love that advice. We should all get that advice. Thanks for sharing that with me. <laughs> so it, it was uh, truly an honor to uh, represent the farm and ranch families and uh, salt of the earth. Uh, but you know what I've learned as I've gotten to work in this role across the country, whether we're talking South Dakota farm families or we're talking Northeast or Southwest or Midwest, um, you know, from Washington to Florida, farmers and ranchers are special people in our country. We take them all for granted. And it's so uh, important for those of us who end up getting the opportunity to speak on their behalf to carry that message that the 1% doing everything they can to feed the other 99%. Um, it, it's special work that they do, and we're sure happy that they're doing it. Lucas, can you give me a 101 on DMI now? You know, Dairy Management Incorporated uh, is uh, a, a little bit of a uh, of a misnomer of a name. And you think Dairy Management, is that a consulting group? Actually, it's just the name of your national dairy checkoff. And so your listeners might be thinking, well, what is checkoff? Well, if you take a step back and you go back to the 1980s, um, when we had a lot of production in dairy, and what ended up happening was the federal government was buying the surplus. And in fact, there were caves rented all across the Midwest, storing uh, cheese and, and uh, milk uh, powder, and just had this overproduction and underconsumption going on. And the federal government said, this really can't continue. And the dairy farmers themselves uh, really said, we can do something to help ourselves out. And that's when they went from a voluntary assessment to really working through an act of Congress, quite literally creating the act and order that created dairy promotion, dairy checkoff. And that act and order uh, went into place uh, in 1983. And for the last 35 plus years, uh, dairy farmers have been paying 15 cents per every hundred pounds of milk that they produce into their checkoff system. Of that 15 cents per hundred pounds, one nickel of it flows through the National Dairy Board, which is the funding, uh, one part of the funding of DMI. And then the local 10 cents, if you will, that stays in the state and regional promotion system. We partner with the, the state and regional system through an organization called the United Dairy Industry Association. And those two entities come together to create DMI. And so you have a national checkoff working very closely with state and regional system like Midwest Dairy that I mentioned earlier, uh, where we basically implement a unified marketing plan on behalf of farmers across the country. So there's some local nuances that doesn't matter where you're at in the country. There's always a local school and local program, but they're all roll up into a strategy that we work very hard to develop on behalf of farmers nationally. DMI operates as a federation. Can you talk more about what that means exactly? You know, the word federation uh, really implies, uh, a, you know, I think the, the way to look at it implies collaboration. Uh, this federation of states and regions uh, basically comes together uh, coast to coast and representing all of our continental United States uh, and working to develop, uh, instead of being redundant in our funding, imagine if all of us were trying to do the same thing for dairy farmers, you would have duplication everywhere. And the federation was the wisdom of the farmers to say, you know what, we, we've just got to work together uh, to bring alignment of our promotion and research dollars so that we're more efficient. And so that federation is really the, the, the joining of hands across the promotional system nationally, locally, 
regionally to make sure that the left hand knows what the right hand's doing and that we really go to great lengths to avoid any duplication of efforts to maximize that investment that farmers are putting into their dairy industry. Can you explain more on how the funds are used as partnership funds? You bet. If your listeners remember Got Milk, um, iconic advertising, uh, people still uh, talk about that today. What we learned uh, in our business uh, plan and business approach, you can have iconic ads that people remember, but do they ultimately move uh, consumer purchases? Uh, my, while there was great um, uh, celebration around Got Milk, did it, at the end of the day, did it move more milk? And what we found is that uh, a dollar of a dairy farmer advertising, uh, dollar of checkoff, make buying a dollar of advertising only gets so much of a return on that investment. And we needed to step back and say, how do we take a dollar on behalf of the dairy farmers and and figure out how to smartly put it into the marketplace to get much more return than just a dollar for dollar expense? And what we learned is that partnerships through food service companies like Pizza Hut or Domino's or McDonald's, these quick serve restaurants that really are the consuming, you know, they face the consuming public today. And with over half of the grocery dollars in our country being really spent not in grocery, but uh, in food service, um, it is really an opportunity for us to work with and through those brands that face consumers. And how we've done it is, um, you know, you know, how do you do it? You get in with uh, a company like McDonald's and you say, let's work together on dairy innovations. Uh, McCafe might be a coffee, but you know what's in McCafe? A, a great deal of wonderful dairy. And when you look at Taco Bell, cheese went from being a side garnish to a mainstay. It really is about having dairy in, in, that, in that case, you know, in over 90% of the menu offerings. And so being smart about how we show up in the marketplace on behalf of farmers, uh, that, that was a pivotal, pivotal point and one that are retiring um, and it just exciting to, to share a 30-year decade of service. Our retiring CEO, Tom Gallagher, was instrumental in shifting from advertising to partnerships. And, and there's no doubt that leaves a, a, an indelible mark of value on behalf of the farmers in our country. I can imagine right now that these diets such as keto are really helping the industry out, right? You know, they are. And, you know, in fact, uh, people may not realize this because sometimes we think about dairy as what's happening in the milk as a beverage category. And while consumers are, you know, getting so many more uh, skews to look at in a C-store. Just think about that. The last time you were in a C-store, how many beverage offerings there were. That's all the pressure that has been on fluid milk as a, as a category. But if you step back and you look at dairy as food and as a food ingredient, actually our per capita consumption is, is as high as it's ever been today in our country. And I think that speaks volumes. And we just need to be mindful of it that we may not always be drinking our milk like we used to, but we sure are eating it. And cheese and the love affair with cheese is not slowing down. And I would actually say there's probably some wonderful headroom in that space because per capita consumption in the United States uh, is about half of what per capita consumption of cheese is in Europe. And so if the Europeans are eating twice as much cheese as we are, I think, uh, I think we've got some great upside there to look forward to. Well, Lucas, just a little side note. I just needed a little snacky before our interview here today. So I had a piece of string cheese. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? And snacking, the thing that we've learned too is the consumer preferences. Uh, 
you know, having uh, grab and go meals that, that are convenience and, and, and the fact that young moms and dads are taking the cheese sticks or taking the yogurt cups. I mean, you all of that packaging and that innovation and packaging is really exciting because it just looks different than it did a few years ago. And it should because the consumer preferences are changing. And when dairy can be positioned as a healthy snack on the go, farmers win uh, and consumers win. During the shutdown part of this COVID pandemic, were more people cooking at home? What kinds of things did you see in that realm? You know, it was a, a tremendous story of extremes. And if you remember that initial disruption of, you know, with over half of those food dollars being spent out of the house in food service space, and then that food service channel getting shut off overnight, that's a supply chain disruption. It wasn't like there wasn't enough milk in the country. It's just a matter of how it got back through to the consumers. And so um, packaging for a food service restaurant is a whole lot different than the packaging you bring into your home. And so a 40-pound bag of, of shredded cheese has got to figure out how to get back into your house. Uh, on the, and so once those um, supply chain channels work themselves through, what was really exciting is the love affair that uh, you know Americans and, frankly, probably people worldwide had with their food. And in fact, now, uh, you know, you start looking at the popularity of farmers and ranchers, it's in the top five. And maybe even, I think I understand Pew just released the poll that farmers are in the top spot of trusted uh, uh, voices uh, in our, in our country today. And I think that speaks volumes to what we experienced because we, we took for granted the very people who provide us the, the food that we eat. And we saw that during COVID and the fact that people fell in love with cooking back home and, you know, showing their children how to, how to make special meals from their childhood. I know we did that and it was a lot of fun and still is. And so um, around the holiday Christmas table or, or, or Thanksgiving table, it was a lot of great conversation, but it was building on a whole year of conversations. And and milk back on morning cereal was that that spiked milk consumption that was incredibly fun to watch. And so uh, I just it, I think it speaks to the resiliency of our, of our food and distribution channels. Um, it was a uh, it was a disruption, but the farmers and the food uh, industry companies persevered and worked through it. And Lucas, another unique aspect is that DMI has actually created companies under the DMI umbrella. Can you explain that? You bet. Uh, some of the great innovations that farmers have led over the last 20 years have been really uh, listening to the marketplace and understanding what are the needs. One of the needs uh, was the fact that there was a growing uh, export opportunity for dairy. And in 1995, we created the U.S. Dairy Export Council. You may have heard of U.S. DEC. Um, it is a place where Dairy Checkoff is the predominant funder, along with membership uh, dues from across the country with exporting companies. And together, they make sure that dairy from the United States is a trusted food source. And we've watched that from 1995 to present day just exponentially grow to the point right now, one out of every six days of production or one out of every, uh, it might even be closer to two out of every seven days, but one out of every six tankers, if you will, of milk is being exported today. And so if you start thinking about that in terms of production, gosh, we're getting darn close to nearly 20% of what we produce in our country being exported. And that's exciting. But if we didn't have a U.S. Dairy Export Council there to help deliver on that, um, you know, that 
that milk would be on our domestic market. And that would be a pretty significant disruption as well. Another company that we're really uh, excited about uh, and has been just delivering for farmers is called Gen Youth. Gen Youth is a nonprofit that that dairy farmers stood up with our partnership with the National Football League and USDA and dairy farmers. We created Fuel Up to Play 60. And really Gen Youth as an entity has been working with corporate sponsors to help get dollars working uh, to bring uh, food insecure children meals on a consistent basis. Too many children show up to schools today hungry. And we know if we're just look at how busy our lives are and the rush of activity for families to get out the door uh, and a child sitting in school with a hungry, hungry stomach is not a student that is on their best uh, opportunity to succeed. And so Programs like Fuel to Play 60 are about balancing a healthy lifestyle, an active lifestyle, but with a healthy diet. And it's also going to places to put like breakfast carts or second chance breakfast or breakfast in the classroom. And teachers uh, uh, across the country have stood up and said, you know what, when my child in my when a child in my classroom is fed, um, they're not hangry. They're, they're focused. You know, there's less bullying. There's less uh, uh, squabbling among the classroom and it's more focused. And I think that satiety uh, of having a, a well-fed student, it, it speaks volumes uh, to where dairy is a part of that conversation. And organizations like Gen Youth are there to deliver on it. So that's, that's just two quick examples. One last one I'll share is the Innovation Center for U.S. Dairy. And you might wonder, Innovation Center, are they innovating recipes? No, it's not that at all. It is the industry coming together, the, the companies, uh, the leadership of the companies that are the dairy industry, they come together in a pre-competitive way to solve the issues facing all of us in dairy. So to have a room full of CEOs solving in a pre-competitive space, things like sustainability, things about uh, making sure we have our sustainability 2050 goals intact, and we agree as an industry to work on those things. I think that's exciting. And that's one of the, the, the other things that we started 13 years ago. And a lot of companies or other industries are catching up, but there's over a decade now that President uh, Barb O'Brien, who was just named uh, the incoming CEO of DMI is, is heading that up. And she has done a marvelous job and a no surprise, our board of directors unanimously voted to put her in as the next CEO. And can you speak just a little bit to the National Dairy Council then? Oh, National Dairy Council. That's kind of like a hundred year history. Uh, it is, uh, if you think about where was dairy uh, back in the early 1900s, it was about, we were learning about food production practices. We were learning about safe handling, uh, pasteurization, the place that these things had in our, and making sure that we had a safe and predictable food supply. National Dairy Council has just been absolutely the trusted go-to source for dietitians and nutritionists across the country. And that's also tying back into the work that research has done. Uh, when you can bring in third-party research that has really brought dairy fat back into the center of the plate, uh, and when Time Magazine puts a, a cover of the page that says butter is back, uh, that's not by accident. That's research that went into it and debunking a lot of the misunderstandings and half-truths of, of what uh, fats play in our diet. And now we know there, there is a place for fat. There is a reason why whole milk is growing. 
uh, at the rate that it is. Um, and, and fat is back and it's a good for us. It's a part of our diet. And, and it makes uh, one last point on that. It makes for early childhood brain development be so effective. And if you if you reduce the fat in your child's uh, diet, especially dairy fat, you're, you are not equipping them to have the best and brightest future that they could have. I've read several times how good butter fat is for brain mechanics and function. Cardiovascular health. Yeah. You know, I, I like to have popcorn with my butter. <laughs> <laughs> I, guess, I guess that's an indication of uh, how much I love my butter. So uh, appreciate it. Lucas, I know that milk consumed in schools is a big thing for the dairy industry. Is that still something that is occurring? Not just regular milk, but flavored milks as well? Well, it is still absolutely part of school lunch programs, and we're and we have a great deal of thanks that goes into um, the dietary guidelines. And for your listeners, uh, the USDA every five years puts together the uh, dietary guidelines uh, as presented by uh, experts in nutrition. And uh, as of today, dairy is still uh, its own. Uh, uh, food category, which is a huge win that we can continue to have dairy as a food group, if you will. Uh, but also having uh, those those three uh, servings of dairy a day. Um, now, the, the, they do say low-fat dairy still, but we know that that preponderance of evidence about full-fat dairy is growing, and it is something that every five years will be more of it available so that those experts can make smart decisions. Because we also know that whether it's flavored milk or or unflavored milk, uh, the fat content is a huge part of the enjoyment factor. Um, a, a glass of, of skim milk has only so much appeal to a young a child's mouth, whereas something that's got some rich flavor uh, and, and body feel to it, they can enjoy uh, it. And we do have to adhere to the dietary guidelines in those schools because that's how they get ref that's how they get funded. They have to adhere to those dietary guidelines to get the USDA uh, funded food service. Is there anything else you wanted to mention that I did not ask about? You know, Lori, uh, I would just say that over the last 35 plus years, dairy farmers uh, have been showing up, making sure that their dairy checkoff is reflective of their values of, of meeting consumers where they're at and being able to be nimble and, and position and posture for the future. And that's something that I think all of agriculture, all of us across the barnyard working together, our animal ag industries, as well as our crop production industries, we are in a space today where consumers uh, have a lot of messaging coming at them. And unfortunately, a lot of misinformation that comes with that. And we have a unique opportunity uh, just like they did in, in the early 1900s with the National Dairy Council, when we set our, our emotions aside and we get back to the science and the trust that comes with uh, periodic reviewed expertise and the fact that we can embrace each other across the food industry, I think we're going to be in a much better place long term. And that's something that takes intentional effort and intentional leadership because that 1%, there's fewer and fewer of us who are speaking on behalf of that 1%. And there's fewer farmers speaking as a result of it. And we just need to make sure that that quiet humility of ag country comes alive and, and tells its story. And I just want to thank you for helping tell agriculture story, as well as to your listening audience that celebrates it as well. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start.
Active Ingredient Flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. And we will call it a show here today. I want to thank my guest, Lucas Lentish, for joining me. He is the Chief Federation Officer for Dairy Management Incorporated. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Ag Queen Podcast with your host, Lori Boyer.